alluded to this a little bit in one of my real man sports posts that something very tragic and shocking happened in Heather's family this past week and that I've been a bit distracted by it. And uh, I'd say more than distracted. It's it hit me pretty hard and obviously hit Heather harder. Um, but basically what happened was last week, you know, about last Wednesday or Thursday, um, Heather's dad went in for back surgery and he's 77 and he's not in great health. And, you know, the, the doctors described it as routine and, and Ron like assured her that it was routine. And, but you know, that stuff's rarely routine. And then it turned out it was more extensive than we thought. And then when he got out of the surgery, he couldn't move his legs. So he had another surgery and then he had a brain bleed. So at this point, Heather decides, okay, I'm going to fly to the States and, you know, it could be goodbye, you know, it could be who knows. And also, um, Heather's stepmom, uh, Marty, she's close to, and just, you know, wanted to support her. So she makes a decision, you know, like on a day's notice to fly from Lisbon through London to Austin, Texas to, um, see her dad. And so, you know, she leaves 5 a.m. Friday morning, you know, and gets a 7 a.m. flight. And I'm like texting her from London about stuff. She gets on the flight in London, you know, several hours later and um, ends up in Austin, like in late afternoon, Austin time, which is like midnight, 1230 here. And so I'm, you know, with Oscar and Sasha, deal with all the stuff, put Sasha to bed. And I think I had just gone to bed. It was like midnight, 1230. And I, my phone, my US phone, which Heather would FaceTime me on, it, is in my office. For some reason, my Portuguese phone is in the bedroom. I hear my Portuguese phone ring at like 1230, which is like odd for a bunch of reasons. One is Heather is super frugal. I was going to say cheap, She's super cheap. Never call on my Portuguese phone unless she really needed to talk to me and had already tried my US phone. And second, she's a stickler about sleep and she would not wake me up in the middle of the night. I mean, even if her dad had like passed away, which was certainly, you know, a possibility, um, I think she would have probably just let me, you know, she would have said, yeah, you, you know, it's sad, but this was like in the realm of outcomes. So the fact that that phone rang, my Portuguese phone rang at 1230, like I knew and I saw it was Heather, I knew something was was seriously wrong and the Portuguese phone, nobody has my number. So it's not like I get spam calls. So when it rang, it was probably somebody. Anyway, I get the phone and Heather's kind of in tears and she says, you're going to want to brace yourself for this. And I had, I was like, I had no idea, you know, it's like, did your plane almost crash? Are you diverted to some other city? I, I had no idea what she was going to say. And she said, my mom died. And you have to understand like her mom's 77. So on his face, it doesn't seem that shocking, but her mom, um, was, uh, like in better shape than most people who are 30. I mean, her mom, I, I did this, I don't know, I'll get into it more like the details of how in shape she was and how active she was and a full, you know, full-time job and totally self-sufficient. But the fact that her mom, who's going to visit us in a couple of months, um, which she does every year, just suddenly dropped dead was shocking. Um, she, you know, this summer she does this walk like four times a week, which is up, you know, these 50 stairs five times and jogging up these hills in the neighborhood. And I go, I've done it with her a couple of times. First time I did it, I went to Vegas the next day for the Rotowire trip. And 
when I woke up the next morning in Vegas and I put my feet on the floor, I like basically couldn't walk. My calves and legs were so tight. It was such a big workout. I did it with her last summer. I think Heather's sister, who was there for Thanksgiving just a couple of weeks ago, did it with her, you know, two weeks ago. So this is a person, this is not your typical 77 year old. She was in tip top shape. When we went whitewater rafting in Colorado this summer. She was in the boat with the oar, you know, pulling her weight. Um, and you know, she, she's a therapist. She's drives her own, you know, has her car. She lives by herself, walks her dog. I mean, it's just, it's shocking. It was like a person who was 50 died. I mean, that was just, and, and obviously, you know, given that she was dealing with the stuff with her dad and then just, you know, to get off the plane, turn on her cell phone and have all these messages and, you know, find out her mom just died. And I'll get into the details of that in a little bit, but it's shocking. I, it, it hit me a lot harder than I thought. And, uh, even when I like told my mom, um, she, she couldn't, nobody can believe it. It's just extremely jarring. And uh, I'm not going to do like a eulogy for Janie on this podcast. Though, that will happen at the, at the funeral in a month or so, um, in LA, but, um, you know, I was pretty good friends with her and it's, it's like, it's fucked, you know, it's bad. And Heather's, you know, she's in LA right now, like going through her stuff and, at her house and all that. Um, so that was it. That was, that was the thing that happened. And, um, it was just now, and then she's going to go back. Her dad is now in like uh, rehab. So he seems to be doing okay for the, for the time being. So she's going to, she's in LA. She's going to, she's flying to Austin today. And then she's back to Lisbon Saturday morning. Um, so that was basically that. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's all, you know, that's all I can really say about it. it's uh extremely shocking extremely jarring and uh and sad and it's uh it's a very it's very surreal like she uh, i don't know I, I probably sounds crazy she's 77 and you know for a normal person that would be you know it would be sad but it would be like oh she lived a long life she had a good life you know whatever but this is this is not a normal person this is very very shocking and i made a joke heather that you know remember that woman justine sacco who made the uh the aids joke saying oh, i won't get aids at least i'm white or something like that and then got on an airplane you know like a to africa because she was going to africa that's why she made the joke and like 12 hours later turned on her phone and there were like a million people destroying her on twitter it just went totally viral um, I said, you know, it's kind of like that you know it was maybe the second second worst or maybe it's worse than that but she basically um just turned on her phone and there's you know dozens of text messages awaiting her and she had no idea i mean there was just there was no nothing no indication nothing turns out um her mom was sick she had like a virus or something and she texted heather saying she feels like crap or something and you know now heather feels bad because she was focused on her dad and didn't really she was like are you feeling okay but didn't really like call and you know get super concerned because her mom was a rock and and didn't really not really the type of person that would ask for much help anyway but um and so she you know so we think that what happened was um a couple doctor friends have made different speculations based on the symptoms and stuff she said she was really cold and the dog walker saw her on thursday last thursday um like afternoon early afternoon or morning and she said, oh, I'm just so cold. I have the heat all the way up and I can't get warm. 
and I'm sure he feels bad, but you know, nobody knew. And she's just not, you know, she's just not the type of person to ask for help. Um, she was really sick, nausea, you know, all the stomach stuff and vomiting and all of that. And so, you know, one doctor thinks it could have been dehydration. Um, and, and just, you know, and just once you get your electrolytes get below a certain level, it can be, you know, pretty quick. Um, someone else thought it might be sepsis. Um, someone else speculated that some viruses end up hitting the heart pretty quickly. Uh, nobody really knows. Um, they were going to get an autopsy, but it's like 5,000 bucks to get an autopsy. And most of them are inconclusive anyway. Heather found out some very interesting stuff at, uh, at the mortuary where the guy said, you know, there's a lot more people coming in here and dying in the last year or two than, than he can ever remember. And that um, the problem with um, when the coroner does it, when there's no autopsy done, is that coroners, if somebody dies in a hospital, they get a, they get a cause of death diagnosis and they, uh, I don't know if it's a diagnosis, but they get a cause of death. They die in the hospital. And if there's foul play, obviously they, they get an autopsy and they figure out what the cause of death is. But when people die in their homes, um, which is a lot of people and the coroner is in charge of saying what the cause of death, and they just say arterial sclerosis, um, arterial sclerosis. It's a hard thing to say, um, because, um, it's just, you know, heart, heart issues basically, um, which is the most common thing. And they don't really, he said, they don't really do a thorough examination. So it's interesting that even our stats about heart disease are probably skewed by coroners just mailing it in. Like why, you know, most people, it's not that important if someone just dies, but you know, at home without foul play to know exactly what it was. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so they're just speculating what it was. Obviously, like I think that maybe taking a certain mRNA shot may have been involved, but there's there's no proof of that one way or the other. Um, you know, I mean, it's we, yeah, I mean, there's no way to know. But when you have somebody who's that healthy, um, uh, whose immune system apparently was having trouble with a virus, and then died, um, it seems to me like that would be a factor. But again, that's total speculation. So rest in peace, uh, Janie Willens. Um, again, I'm not going to go through her life story or anything. That's for the obituary and the eulogies at the funeral and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, she was a friend of mine and a close friend of mine, my mother-in-law. She uh, will be missed. Um, and, you know, and it was just, more, again, more the shocking way in which it happened you know just like heather's focused on seeing her dad gets off the plane and she's like i, mean, I couldn't i am not doing a good job describing this this one might need an edit but i won't edit it i'll just let it let it be but uh just like it was the last it was absolutely the last explanation for her calling me that i thought it could possibly be it just would never have occurred to me all right that's that um i you know I don't really dwell on that kind of personal stuff very much, but it would just be like kind of fake if I was just talking about stuff going on in life without mentioning that. So it is what it is. Um, okay. Um, I was on Twitter on Tuesday, my usual Tuesday. I like somebody says you're, he doesn't enjoy these data, data dumps. I like, I like that uh, data dump. That's what it is. I just have a week's worth of stuff and I just start posting like crazy. Tuesday morning, um, all the things I've stored up, um, over the week. And then 
retweet them a couple times because I know I'm posting Portugal times so and no one sees them and I hate the algorithm there. And, you know, so that's what I do every Tuesday. So it's, you know, I don't enjoy these data dumps as much. You should come every day and space it out more, but it is what it is. I like just being on once a week. It's actually done me some good. Um, one of the things that I've seen and heard actually from a lot of people, even on Thanksgiving, I mentioned this is people are terrified of the prospect of Donald Trump being reelected. They think he's going to be a dictator. It's the end of democracy. It's, you know, these talking points that come up, but it really baffles me why there's so much fear around this prospect. I mean, I, I know why, because they're promoting this fear and it's on TV every day, but I'm saying I don't really understand the logic behind it because the dude was president for four years and not only was he not a dictator, not only uh, what were you, um, you know, that he wasn't infringing on the first amendment, the way the current administration is, they weren't mandating uh, injections of a experimental gene therapy, the way this current administration is, they weren't fomenting world war three with Russia, the way this current administration is. Um, but there was absolutely no political persecution the way, you know, again, like there's no January 6th, they're politically perse persecuting the, uh, the protesters. And I'll get into that too. And they're politically persecuting the guy who shared, you know, they're, they're prosecuting that guy. They actually did convict him and he's supposed to go to jail. The guy, Douglas Mackey, who shared a meme about, you know, it was like a joke saying just text instead of vote for Hillary Clinton, which is obviously a joke. Um, so none of that happened to, you know, Hillary Clinton supporters under Trump. None of that happened to Democrats. If you were a Democrat under Trump or you were a leftist or whatever you want to call it, you could get on Twitter and be like, Donald Trump's the biggest piece of shit. You could say, you know, it was a fake election. Russia stole the election. You know, so, you know, Russia and Donald Trump stole the election. You could say anything like that. It wasn't considered a crime at all. Nobody got uh, in trouble for that. In fact, it was on the corporate media for three years. They were saying Russia Gate, Russia Gate, you know, all this stuff three years and it turned out to be fake and nobody got in trouble for that. I mean, the news networks and the people promoting that lie should have gotten in trouble for it. And the people spreading that lie under oath should have gotten in trouble for it. But you know, regular people, they should not get in trouble for saying whatever they want about the president. And they didn't. And that was how it should be. And, um, you should be able to openly say whatever you want about the president. And they did, they really did. They said, he's an idiot. He's Hitler. He's a Nazi. He's, you know, he's corrupt. You know, all that shit. And so we lived through his presidency and it was actually, you know, he didn't really do a whole lot, to be honest. Like he didn't really take on the deep state. He didn't pardon Julian Assange. He didn't pardon Edward Snowden. He didn't, uh, he hired a bunch of psychos like John Bolton and Mike Pompeo. You know, he, he didn't do a whole lot, but he also didn't get us into new wars and he didn't persecute his political adversaries and certainly didn't persecute any regular people speaking out. I mean, my Twitter, when Trump was president, was all about how bad Trump was. And so, uh, Oscar, stop it. He's right here. Cause he's just with me. No barking here. I'm doing a podcast. All right. I can't even edit this. I'm not editing. So stop it. Okay. Young man. Stop. Stop. I have to, I'm going to have to close the door and lock you out. All right. So, all right. So the evidence we have that Trump is dangerous, you know, to, democracy or to anything is it's basically nil and then people say well, what about you know overthrowing the election on january 6th i mean we'll get into january 6th like what an absolute joke that was and how that was like the dumbest psyop it was worse than saying that 
the lab leak was a conspiracy. Remember that psyop that it had to come from the caves. And if you said it was a lab leak, that's a conspiracy. That, even though it was ridiculous, because obviously they were doing the research in the lab right where the virus broke out, that was absurd. But that's not as crazy as the January 6th psyop. The January 6th psyop was the craziest thing, I think, of all the crazy things that people have been asked to believe. I mean, you know, that men can be women and, and compete in women's sports. That's pretty crazy. Um, and men can get pregnant. All that stuff is obviously crazy. But that's, you know, that was nobody really believes that, actually, I don't think. Um, I think that's just shit people go along with that they know is stupid. That's sort of like a loyalty test. But the January 6th thing people believed. and. It turns out that uh, one person died. It was the protester, Ashley Babbitt. And I've seen some questions of whether that was like some sort of paid actor. I don't want to, you know, I don't want, I, was, I shouldn't even like really get into that because I don't care whether that's true or not, but I've seen some video that like is just interesting about it. But let's just assume that's real. And, you know, they killed the protester. Um, and none of the security guards got hurt. They lied and said someone was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. Totally false. Um, they were unarmed. We saw the video. They were they were let into the Capitol. So you've got a bunch of people unarmed, let into the Capitol, do no damage. The Congress returns to session like that day or the next day. Nothing happened. It changed nothing. They accomplished nothing. And there's people saying, oh, that that's, you know, he's a threat to democracy. And it was worse than 9-11, they were saying at the time. No one says that now because it's so ridiculous. But they still, they, they've let go of the worse than 9-11, but they're still holding on to the threat to democracy thing. Like he, he didn't want, he wasn't going to let them certify the election. How? By having a, a hundred people with clogged arteries walk around the Capitol calmly. That's how they're going to prevent. I mean, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. And the fact that people are still even talking about this thing and the fact that these people have been persecuted. I mean, they've been charged with serious crimes, even though it was it, it worse trespassing and they were let in. Um, it's just shocking to me that people believe this, they think this. And so I had people on Twitter, I said, you know, what, what is this fear about? I mean, the guy, you know, did nothing. And the guy's like, well, white nationalists, you know, taking over the, the Capitol building is one. And if you look at what happened, it was just such a nothing. And nobody wants to look into it because they got an impression of it from, you know, the dishonest corporate media. And then they probably told other people how horrible it was and had conversations about it. And just to be, be acknowledged that you were that preposterously duped that you just fell for the dumbest. I mean, that was the one, the two things I didn't fall for were the lab leak is a conspiracy theory. That was obviously fact in the beginning. And this one, I remember this is the, the one topic that I did a podcast on right at the time that you can go back. The sound isn't great for that one. I was doing it in like a, a uh, Airbnb somewhere, but I said, when, when you use the word insurrection and overthrowing the government, attempt to over, I, I imagine military vehicles, you know, armed, not just people with guns. I imagine like tanks and military vehicles, you know, shooting up the Capitol, killing dozens of sitting Congress people, you know, going, you know, room to room, assassinating, executing them. That would be commensurate with worse than 9 11, um, overthrowing the government. That That's the kind of stuff would reflect the rhetoric they were saying. And literally nobody except a protester died. Nobody, nobody was harmed. They were let in, they were unarmed. I mean, this stuff is so fucking bananas that anyone's still citing this stuff. So that, that objection is just, it's retarded. I'm sorry. It's just retarded. Like you sound retarded if you say it. And I'm going to use that word because I think it's apt. If you still believe that your brain is broken. If you actually use that as a, as your objection.
Now, another one, some guy said, you're delusional. You are, you know, the, <laughs> the letters you are, you're delusional. If you think he won't do it, you know, next time he becomes a dictator. And I said, he, you know, look, he might, I, I'm not vouching for Trump. You know, I know anybody could do anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not Nostradamus here. I don't have a crystal ball, but you can go by one of two things. You can go by the evidence of what he actually did in office the first time, which was basically nothing. I mean, he did, he did do the lockdowns, which is horrendous. But the people who are worried about Trump, they love the lockdowns. They wanted the lockdowns. They wanted you to wear your mask and stay in your home and all this stuff. So that's not why they're scared because the lockdown, that's why I don't like him. That's why, you know, not pardoning Assange and Snowden and locking people down and Operation Warp Speed. That's why I don't, I'm not a Trump fan because of that. That's my issue with him. But it's not the people who are afraid of Trump's issue. And so he says, you're delusional. And I said, Who's delusional? The guy who is basing his you know, lack of apprehension on the prospect of a Trump presidency, a second one, on what he actually did for four years, or the one who's basing his fear on the same people who lied to you the first time. Remember in 2015 and 16, they're saying he's going to be Hitler. He's going to, you know, there was a, a Matt Iglesias tweet, Ted Bell uh, quote tweeted that from, you know, 2015 or 2016, he says, you know, he imagines under a Trump presidency, armed mobs executing black people and Jews uh, without, you know, without any sort of penalty. That, that, that was what these kind of people were saying that would happen under the Trump presidency. And obviously it just did not happen. And so these same people are telling you to fear Trump again. And they were totally wrong the first time. And they lied about the Russia collusion and didn't accept the election. And that the same liars are on your TV saying it again. And you're believing them where I'm just saying, well, I don't really know what's going to happen in the future, but I think I'm going to trust the track record of him being there for four years and not really doing a whole lot. And so who's delusional? You know, the person who's believing the same people that lied to him or the person who's just saying, I'm only basing on, you know, living through the actual, you know, my eyes and ears and experience of living through the presidency. And it didn't seem like that big of a deal or a real danger to anybody. And in fact, we weren't in any new wars. We weren't fomenting World War III trampling on. We did trample on people's rights with the lockdowns for sure. But they weren't trampling on the free speech rights in the same way. And they weren't having this disinformation bureau and all this bullshit. So I just don't understand any rational person being afraid of Trump being elected. Could he do something crazy? Of course he could. Anyone could. I, I'm way more concerned about, and it's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden is just a empty shell of a demented carcass that's being commanded by who God knows who, um, you know, I'm much more concerned about somebody who, you know, unaccountable um, operatives behind the scenes leading us into wars for, you know, to make money for the military industrial complex or mandating medicine that I don't want to enrich the pharmaceutical industrial complex and people who invest in it and to scratch the back of all of their cronies. This is, this is what I'm worried about. And it doesn't seem like they really care how many people got poisoned by the shots or the excess deaths or, the amount of Ukrainians who died or the hundreds of billions we squandered for a losing war that they lied about also. So this, this to me is just absurd that people are afraid of Trump. Uh, again, he could do something crazy. I'm not going to vouch for him, but the evidence to me is, is absolutely on the opposite side. So anyway, that was that. And then finally, um, I'll make this a short one, but uh, Bitcoin has been really soaring the last couple of weeks. It's up to 43 and a half. It cracked 44 yesterday for a bit. 
And, you know, what's going on here? Well, there's a few things going on. There's a couple of ETFs that are likely going to be approved in the next month or so. And that means some institutional money is going to come in and buy some. I think the ETFs are a bit, I'm not that excited about it. I kind of wish they didn't exist because it's great because people who, you know, only invest through, you know, Charles Schwab or something or C-Trade even exists. I had Ameritrade, now I have Charles Schwab, can get, um, can get uh, exposure, you know, via their 401ks and their IRAs and whatever. And that, that's good. Um, but the problem is when something, I, I don't know how a spot ETF works. It they might be that they have to like one for one show the, they have the, the Bitcoin in order to issue the shares off of it and be transparent about it. That might be the case. I know that, uh, SBX, um, was, uh, um, rehypothecating Bitcoin, which means, you know, basically creating paper Bitcoin, representing to account holders that they had Bitcoin in their accounts that was not backed up 100% by, not even close, like it was like 8% or less uh, by the Bitcoin that they actually owned, by the private keys they actually controlled. And so you basically had uh, a way of keeping the price down because they could absorb demand, say, you know, thousand people want to buy a Bitcoin each It's a thousand Bitcoin in orders. And they're putting, they're crediting that Bitcoin to their accounts. But, you know, say, uh, SBX, um, only has, uh, it's not SBX on Sam Bankman Fried SBF FTX. That's what it was. But FTX only has, you know, 20 Bitcoin there. And hopefully all the thousand people don't withdraw it at once, just like the banking system, but the banking system is different because they can just print, you know, more reserves for the banks and backstop them. But with Bitcoin, they can't do that. So, you know, if you have a run on one of these exchanges or, you know, BlackRock or something, then, you know, the, it would collapse. So I don't know the rules of the ETFs. Maybe they have to be more transparent than um, FTX was. But uh, but it's, it's a bit of a concern. It, the institutional money is not your friend, pretty much, when you're talking about what this really is. It's not... I was trying to, uh, you know, tell people about it. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, great, good job. You have some, you bought some. Um, it's like buying Apple stock when it's cheap. Like, great, your Apple stock went up a ton. Like, good for you. You can sell that at a profit. It's not really like that. I mean, you can look at it that way and it, I guess that can work. But um, this is a new paradigm. This is separating money from state. Just like in, you know, the 16th century, 17th century, they separated church and state so that the church didn't, you know, the king were not one thing, that your religion was separate from, you know, your uh, citizenship. This is now separating money from state. You know, instead of the government printing money, money is a good that comes about. And money is not something that comes from the government originally. You know, it comes about a tribe would need to trade amongst itself and maybe with other tribes, and they would need to have some sort of medium of exchange that was suitable for that. If you used apples to trade with in your tribe or other tribe it's not good because they rot you know oh and plus they're you know you don't want a hundred apples you want you know three apples and if you want to make someone a pair of shoes for that's worth a hundred apples um it's gonna be very hard to find a hundred people or 30 people to take three apples each um to figure this all out so obviously you need like a, a medium of exchange that you know stands in for future value that can be used for any good or service and certain good, you know, certain things are bad, like apples are not a good medium exchange. Seashells worked for a while for inland tribes, but then some other tribe would go to the beach that had access to a beach and get 
tons of seashells and completely take all their goods and give them worthless seashells. So that didn't work. Eventually they settled on gold, which worked for many millennia. Um, it was durable, didn't degrade. It was scarce. It was hard to produce. You could melt it down and make different size denominations. It was very good. Um, but then Lynn Alden in her book, Broken Money talks about this when the telegraph was invented in the 19th century. Um, the speed of transaction times uh, exceeded the ability for people to move gold physically. So they started, you know, moving gold you know, hypothetically on paper and then issuing more currency against the gold. And there was actual gold because it was possible to do that. Um, and basically gold was now too slow. The, the, it's funny that gold, you know, we didn't really get off the gold standard completely until 1971. But even in the 19th century, once the telegraph came and communication between humans could be instantaneous speed of light that uh made gold obsolete you know i mean it took it still has a lot of value and it's at an all-time high but it it's is, as a true money it now no longer can keep pace with modern commerce and so now you have this new thing bitcoin which is more scarce than gold it's not um it's uh you need proof of work a lot of electricity which costs money to produce it so it's expensive to produce it's more scarce than gold it's got a fixed supply it can be transmitted over space immediately. It's durable over time. It doesn't degrade. This is, you know, digital gold. It's the gold that has the speed as well as the, it, you know, that works over space as well as time. I mean, gold, you know, I think Michael Saylor says this, if you were to try to move, you know, hundred million in gold from the U S to Australia, you'd have to spend like a million dollars to secure it, to transport it, to, you know, to make sure it's real to all this. It's a real pain in the ass. Whereas Bitcoin for five bucks, you can send that hundred million and it would be there and, you know, confirmed in a couple hours. So this is a really, really powerful thing that will change everything. It sounds trivial. Like, well, I guess the gold would take a week. There'd be some expense involved. It's not just that. It's the in instantaneous programmable money around the world that can just be used for a million different purposes um, without third parties, banks and intermediaries. And when you have banks and intermediaries, they get very powerful and they lobby Congress to siphon off a little bit more, to be able to do a little bit more, to have a little less reserves or to um, have their objectives met and their agendas. And so you've now got these third parties who you were using because you didn't want to have, you know, gold in your closet, or even if it was cash, you don't want to have a million dollars in cash in your closet. Um, and so you have these banks to secure it and, and have it. Now the bank says you can only get the money out at these times of day, or what are you using it for? Or, you know, if, if they don't like you or you say something wrong on online on social media, they can, you know, say, well, we're, we're not banking with you. Kanye West found that out. And so, you know, it's just the, the third parties become real problems. Just like, you know, I mean, that's why I'm into Noster instead of, you know, Twitter and Facebook, because, you know, Facebook is like, oh, great. Look at this new technology to um, communicate with many people at once over the internet. And, but then they were like, oh, look, we can make money advertising. And if we own all your data, we own all the information about you. And now we can say, and, you know, once they got scale, once they had monopoly power, they started saying, well, you can't say this. This is disinformation. We're going to demonetize this. YouTube will demonetize this if you're saying this. Or Facebook will, you know, delete this post or cancel your account if you say that. And now they're telling you what you can say. Remember Facebook was, um, it was originally uh, at Harvard to meet, you know, it was to meet girls. It was to, you know, it was to, um, for, for people to date. And now it's like, they, they're telling you what you can and cannot say. And they're working with the government to censor. I mean, this is what happens when you outsource to third parties. I mean, education is similar, right? I mean, we outsource our education to third parties and 
you get a bunch of woke nonsense in your kid's head. Um, they think that, you know, men should be men who identify as women should be competing in women's sports, um, things like that, you know, just insane stuff. And, you know, and, and it's tough because, you know, everybody, nobody wants to, um, not nobody, but many people want to do their own work and not have all day to, you know, look after their kids. And it's, it's, you know, we don't have aunts and uncles and grandmothers, uh, living next door in our village to look after the kids. And so, um, you got to store your kid at the school and they learn some things, but for the most part, um, I think they're just spending time there, um, you know, with their friends and there's socialization and other things that happen. Although if you lived in a village and, you know, your grandmother or aunt had your kids and other people's grandmothers and aunts had their kids and they ran up, you know, in the town square to play, they would socialize just the same. So, you know, we outsource these things to third parties and then the third parties become a force of their own. You know, they close down the schools during COVID. They, you have the Randy wine gardens, you have these people that are activists for, you know, for the, for the things that don't have anything to do with your kids. There's teachers unions and they're worried about their, you know, situation. That's fine. I mean, you know, look out for yourselves, but you know, the, the, the purpose for, you know, for me, I'm not, I don't, it's not my job to worry about, you know, the third parties. Unfortunately, we're, you know, you know, we're part of the problem. We live in Portugal and you know, our families are in LA and obviously lost somebody who did help look after Sasha when we were in LA, but you know, it's just the way it's the way of the world now. And so we need schools and we need teachers and, but it's, you know, are, is that really, you know, optimal? Is it really optimal to have banks looking after your, your wealth? Is it really optimal to have all these middlemen taking care of this? And even, you know, look at the medical system, right? Like it used to be that, you know, you would have a doctor or you'd have, you know, somebody who with bedside manner who would come see you if you were really ill, but, um, and mod, you know, some modern medicine's great. Antibiotics are great. And s surgeries are great. If you have a, you know, I had an ankle problem and the guy did a great job and I'm thankful that he was there. I, I get blood tests all the time. I use the medical system for that, but you know, I don't believe in healthcare. You know, I don't, some, my job is to care for my own health, to care for my health, to care for my finances, to care for my relationships, my family. That's my job. And it's not someone else's job to do that. If I get in a car accident, yes, I want to be rushed to a modern Western hospital with all the, you know, latest technology to take care of me. And I can't control if I get into an accident. Um, but for the most part, metabolically, that's my job to take care of my health. It's not my job to just eat shit from the supermarket, um, process foods, and then show up, you know, at their door saying, save me, you know, give me the pills, give me the, give me the latest technology to undo the damage I've done. I mean, the, the reality is, um, you got to insource your health, insource your finances. This is kind of a long winded way of saying like this, you know, separating money and state is massive. You know, this is this is taking control of your financial sovereignty, which it was hard to do if you had to have gold in your closet or something that could be seized or robbed easily or, you know, um, the technologies of encryption and uh, and the Internet and the blockchain combined. Um, this is this is new. This is a this is like a paradigm shift It is a, a leap for mankind, I believe, um, into a different realm when we separate money and states um i think that the downstream benefits of that are I, I can't you know i can speculate but i mean i think there's things that i don't even know i can't even conceive of that will arise from this
like the enlightenment, you know, I mean, the theory of relativity wouldn't have been possible without the enlightenment, you know, things, you know, that we have now, um, scientifically would not have been possible had we not separated church and state so that there could be the free flow of ideas. And there will be things that we cannot even imagine are possible by separating money and state. And so, you know, I don't know where Bitcoin's going in the short term. I'm very bullish in the long term. There's not just the halving. If you didn't know what that is, that means that the issuance from the miners gets cut in half um, every four years. And what that means is that miners have to pay for electricity to mine and they get rewarded Bitcoin when they um, solve the mining riddle. You know, it's not really a riddle. It's just like guessing a number. And so they're basically making, getting paid in Bitcoin, but laying out, you know, fiat currency, dollars, euros, whatever to do their mining. And, uh, and so they have to sell the Bitcoin, a lot of them that they get um, in order to pay their bills and then reap a profit. That's how the business works. And so when they get half as much each time, in other words, it was 12 Bitcoin per, per block um, the last cycle and now it's six, this cycle, six and a quarter. It was 12 and a half, now it's six and a quarter. It's going to be half again in April of 2024. And so that means that there's going to be a lot less selling pressure. There's going to be a lot less Bitcoin available for sale. The supply will get even more restricted. And so that is very bullish, right? You have a certain amount of demand. The supply gets cut in half. That's big. Secondly, um, you have, um, you know, El Salvador and now Cotter was reportedly the one of the guys was coming in to meet uh, Bukele, the president of El Salvador, to talk to him. Wonder why he's going to El Salvador of all places? Well, he wants to talk about <laughs> probably wants to talk about Bitcoin. And then you have, um, I think, um, is it Bhutan is already mining Bitcoin? And there's going to be a lot of pressure for other countries to do so, and probably some of them already are, but we just don't know about it. So you're getting into sort of nation state adoption. That's going to, you know, you have the, obviously the ETFs, corporate adoption. Um, you're going to have energy companies, you know, oil companies using, you know, their flared natural gas and the stuff that flared methane that comes from natural ga gas and the stuff that's actually environmentally harmful. And they're going to use that probably and start turning that into Bitcoin. And there's another huge, huge uh, influx of demand, which is that um, as the boomer generation dies off, they are going to... Um, you know, bequeath their wealth to their uh, Generation X and Millennial children, and those people and those Millennials and Gen, Gen X, which I am one, um, are much more technologically savvy than the Boomers, and so they're much more likely to actually buy Bitcoin with the inheritance. So you have so much wealth uh, in people over seventy right now. They own, you know, I don't know what the proportion is, but a large proportion of the world's wealth. Uh, when they pass away, that wealth is going to be transferred into much more technologically savvy hands and um, a large, you know, some percentage of those, even if it's 2% or 5% or whatever it is, are going to take that wealth, that newfound wealth and convert it into Bitcoin. So the uh, the setup is is massive. And this is with interest rates at, you know, 6% or whatever, having been hiked 10x and they may stay up. I don't know. I'm not the person to predict that, but if things start to break and they have to pivot and lower rates, um, now you're, you know, you're looking at an insane run. So um, it's, it's kind of uh, ridiculous to predict price, specific price. I've heard predictions of it's going to get to a hundred thousand before April. 
was Adam back, um, one of the, uh, OGs who built some of the technology that, um, Bitcoin was built on, who created the technology that Bitcoin was built on. And some people even think he's Satoshi, although I don't think, I think there's reason to believe he's not, but he's one of the candidates at least. And he said a hundred thousand, uh, before April, he's got some bet going and then maybe, you know, up to a million after that, you know, at some point in the cycle in the next couple of years. Now, again, I don't, I don't know. That's total speculation and it could very well go down in the short term and the ETF could be some sort of Trojan horse government regulation, whatever. I don't think they can really stop it. China tried to stop it. They failed. Um, I don't think Jamie Dimon and Elizabeth Warren are going to succeed. Um, so uh, it is, it is, you know, a very huge development and an exciting time for that. Uh, finally, uh, I don't know. I just had this thought. I might write about it at some point, but you see some really crazy stuff going on, like this free speech um, curtailments, you know, it, not just the colleges, but the government with Stanford and Harvard are working to censor the internet. You know, they're working to um, create, you know, they remember there was that Bureau of Misinformation, but now there's other, it's it, the, the disinformation industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. There's money flowing from um, from government to it, from NGOs to it. And they're all, or maybe these are NGOs, but the point is, I guess they are NGOs, but the point is there, there's a lot of influence and money going into shutting down discourse. You have Ireland trying to criminalize um, certain speech. You have, you know, in the UK it's happening and it's, it's really crazy and you know, kind of scary. It seems like, you know, you can get jailed for saying the wrong thing or posting a meme or whatever. But this kind of overreach where they're actually just blatantly violating, you know, at least for the United States, the First Amendment, Ireland may not have a similar law. Um, it's kind of like if you, you know, if you fast for a few days or if you take some anti-parasitics or something, you may get the, uh, the keto flu or you may get a die off is a common reaction where you feel a lot sicker when you start to detoxify because the bacteria in your system um, starts to die you stop feeding it if you're fasting or you um you know use some sort of antifungal or antiviral anti-bacterial uh, anti-candida um garlic and black walnut and oregano oil and the stuff and you start to feel like shit because when the bacteria start to die they flip out and just release toxic um toxic um, byproducts into your bloodstream and you feel like shit and then they say, once you get through that, you feel great because you've gotten rid of them. But the first period may be worse. You feel worse than you did before you took the medicine or before you started fasting. And I kind of think that's what's happening. Sort of the toxic bacteria of the ruling class of the um, sort of unelected, you know, bureaucracy that runs things in the world is starting to lose influence. That's the, you know, we're stop, we're not feeding them as the, wealth starts to be siphoned out of the system into Bitcoin as people stop trusting the CDC. I mean, the, the WHO just recommended that pregnant women get uh, a booster, which to me is incredibly brazen in December of, of 2023 to be saying that. I mean, it is like, I almost respect it. It's like zero fucks given. You know, we know the excess death tolls. We know the miscarriage rates are off the charts and they're telling pregnant women to take this who are not at risk of COVID. I mean, if you're, you know, you probably had, they probably had it, you know, three times already. They're young, healthy women and they're telling them to inject themselves with this poisonous chemical while they're pregnant. 
in December of 23 after all that we know. I mean, that's just fucking brazen that they're doing that. And it's this just like, I mean, I'm almost in awe of how sick that is. I almost, it's grudging respect. You know, if you think like, oh, I'm saying this shit on a podcast, I don't give a fuck. They really, really do not give a fuck. So stuff like that is happening, right? Like just absolute um, disregard for evidence and science and trying to shut down free speech. Um, this is the kind of thing that you would only do if you're, if your influence is in its death throes, if you're on the way out, nobody believes the CDC, nobody believes the FDA, nobody believes the WHO, nobody respects the Congress, nobody respects de demented Joe Biden, nobody respects uh, these parties. You know, we don't, we still don't have the Epstein client list. I saw something, I don't know if it's true. I probably shouldn't, without confirming it, say it, but I'm just going to say this is not confirmed as true that RFK Jr., whose ideas I like a lot of, um, was on Epstein's plane and that he had a relationship with Jelaine Maxwell. I mean, like, that's fucked if that's true. Again, I don't know. I don't know that that's true, but that's something that I read. And it just shows don't get attached to any of these guys. Don't, you know, I don't give money to politicians. I gave money to Bernie Sanders. What a fucking waste of money that guy was. Oh my God, what a capitulating sack of shit. What a worthless loser that guy is. Um, I gave money to Obama. That was just a huge mistake too. Just don't get involved. Don't get, don't get attached to these guys, you know? Um, vote, you know, hold your nose and vote if you want. Um, but, um, just don't, it, it's, it's a cesspool. And so anyway, um, I, I had this idea that basically, uh, that it's getting so crazy. It's getting so scary, mostly because they're dying off. Their influences is ending and people don't care about them anymore. And so, you know, they still control a lot of the corporate media and a lot of the more brainwashed people will say, no, they're, they're doing fine. I, I like this person, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just like the person who cannot think for themselves, cannot um, maintain a, a critical thought. The guys who are like, you're delusional if you think Trump won't destroy the world. Oh, what about January 6th? What about the white nationalists taking over the government? You know, people who just think in talking points, think in things that they've seen on their TV. Um, yeah, sure. They have influence among those people, but I think that's a small minority. I think a lot of people go along with it and, and really should not. I saw a tweet from a doctor saying that so many doctors say to him, thank you so much for standing up for what's true. And we see this in our practices too. And he's like, why the fuck don't you say something? I mean, and I don't think it's just doctors. I mean, I just think if, if there's something going on that's bullshit, don't pretend to go along with it. I'm not saying you have to get out on Twitter and get fired. I'm just saying, why are you complicit in something that you know is bullshit? like this trans shit in sports. Look, I don't care if an adult, kids should never be even allowed to. You know, you have to be minimum 18 in my opinion before you can make a life-changing permanently, um, you know, they may not be able to reproduce type of decision. Never a kid should be able to do that. Kids can't go to where they can't even drink. Um, they should definitely not be able to consent to transitioning. That's fucked up and I, there's something dark to that. I wonder if the whole Epstein client list, you know, which may eventually come out, I, I have this like weird suspicion that like they're trying to normalize um, the sexualization of kids and, and make it so that, you know, them transitioning and doing something like that. If, if that's accepted as normal that a 13 year old or a 12 year old can, you know, permanently change their, have surgery and permanently, you know, change their sexuality um, that, you know, the Epstein stuff with the 15 year olds won't sound as bad that almost like this has been like astroturfed to justify what's eventually going to come out about so many of the powerful people.
I don't have evidence for that. It's just a weird thing that just right when the Epstein stuff started, you know, when the Miami Herald did that report that got him arrested, um, that, you know, that all of a sudden this transition stuff got pushed. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but the, whatever, whatever the truth about that is, um, you know, if you really want to transition and you're an adult and you're one of the rare people that, you know, supposedly, um, really needs to do that. And there were people doing that, you know, before it became trendy. So I'm going to take them at their word that they, you know, that that was something they really wanted to do. Adults who did that, you know, and took on a lot of scorn and took on a lot of negative feedback from the people around them, but did it anyway, rather than the people being encouraged to do it now. Okay, fine. You're an adult. You do what you want to do. But the idea that, you know, you would then play sports, women's sports, no way. You know, that's just like, it's retarded. I mean, I feel like anybody, you know, I see these people, you know, that, that are in my industry sometimes or people on Twitter justifying the, un, the defending the indefensible. Like the, the, you have these, you know, that Leah Thomas, biological male dominating women swimming. And like, that's just stupid. It just ruins it for all the women. And, you know, even, even a man, think about this. Let's say, you know, I'm a normal man. I want to compete in men's sports, but I decide to take steroids and my testosterone levels are off the charts. I'm not going to be allowed to compete in men's sports. <clears throat> Even men's sports, you can't compete if you have a huge um, hormonal advantage. You're not allowed to compete. And so the fact that like the same thing is being done in women's sports and justified, it's just sick. It's just stupid. It's even dumb that I'm talking about this because it's just so fucking stupid. It's such a stupid debate. It's just like you have to be such an idiot it's not even something it, it would it would be like arguing you know about something that we all know is just obviously true it's it just it, even to argue about it and debate it gives it uh validity that it doesn't deserve i mean it's just fucking idiotic and just that kind of shit like just don't go along with bullshit it's just obviously bullshit i, I can't you know i don't know i don't know what else to say it's just obviously bullshit um so yeah it's just it's ridiculous so anyway that's that's really it so um yeah i guess that's uh that's probably most of what i have to say all right till next time